we could normalize talking about our periods, tracking periods, body awareness. Gosh, I just, that just makes me excited because I'm like, I feel like we could just be so much more empowered and so much further along. If we knew what was happening, we'd be a lot less doctor visits, right? There'd be a lot less practitioner, a lot less stress, a lot less thinking something was normal when in fact it was common, but not normal. And we would know what to do because we've been trained at it from a young age. And so that's my wish. People listening to this, start teaching your girls at a young age about body awareness. Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Hormone shifts and changes are something else, aren't they? Take your menstrual cycle, for example. One moment, estrogen and testosterone are rallying together, and you feel on top of the world around day 11 or 13 of your cycle, like right before ovulation. And then, just a couple weeks later, progesterone and estrogen are plummeting to the ground around day 25 or 27, and it can feel like everything in your body and in your life are working against you. At least that's how many of my monthly menstrual cycles have felt over my lifetime. And I'm just referring to our consistent and technically predictable monthly cycle during our cyclical childbearing years. But for some, rarely does any of it feel predictable. There are months where I have felt so tricked and my symptoms have been worse based on too much stress and too little sleep the month or two before. And that's why January is often the worst period month for women of the entire year due to all of the holiday travel, the stress, the ultra-processed foods, the sugar, and often a lack of self-care and sleep during the months of November and December. And I haven't even begun to talk about what it all feels like on hormonal birth control, which we're going to be talking about today, or even during the long 10-plus year perimenopause transition when everything is up in the air. Talk about hormone shifts and changes. Perimenopause is undoubtedly the biggest hormonal transition right after the ultramarathon that is pregnancy that can leave many of us depleted. Now, I know I can speak from personal experience because I had my son and early perimenopause, and I'm finally coming on the other side of all of it at 44 years old. And that's why so many of us call perimenopause the second puberty. But this time, you have a family, career, endless obligations, and a lot more trauma. No wonder it can feel like a hot mess for so many of us, and even a scary time when everything seems to be hanging in the balance. And right now, I would argue 
that perimenopause is that critical 10 plus year window that shapes our future health outcomes. And there's literally over 20 million women right now in perimenopause who are going through this transition. And I'm going to be honest, our health outcomes are not looking so great after perimenopause once we hit menopause. As I've shared here on the podcast a couple of times, there are some pretty alarming statistics that we're going to be talking about today, but that I want to share with you very quickly. Right now, we know that women by the age of 45 are more likely than men to be overweight or have obesity, which is a significant risk factor for type 2 diabetes. 88% of women by the age of 45 have metabolic dysfunction, which is one of the main root causes of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and dementia. Approximately 66% of Alzheimer's patients are women, something that never seems to be addressed. And more women than men will die of cardiovascular disease, the number one killer in women. Now, a common thread when looking at these pretty alarming statistics is that hormone and metabolic shifts in women are having a profoundly negative impact on long-term health. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. Outcomes. The truth is, depending on how we take care of our bodies during the perimenopause transition can really determine how our bodies thrive for the rest of our lives. So today, I invited Dr. Carrie Jones to share her insights on the new research concerning women after perimenopause and what tools are actually at our disposal to shift the tide and set us up for success so that we extend our longevity and don't become a statistic. We are also going to be talking about the new FDA-cleared over-the-counter mini pill called the O-Pill, and it's about to hit drugstores. And we just want you to understand all of the options and concerns and risks around a over-the-counter pill. But before I do, I want you to know that I take your health extremely seriously, and I believe that our bodies can only benefit from having improved cellular metabolism. Improving our metabolic health is literally the biggest lever that we can pull if we want a healthy, thriving body and life before, during, and after perimenopause. And I also know that women like your best friend and cousin and coworker, and maybe even you are struggling with metabolic changes along with hormone changes without an effective and long-term solution. And that's why I'm hosting a free class on how to fix your metabolism. My Fix Your Metabolism class is what you have been looking for because it offers a comprehensive plan to optimize your metabolism, hormones, mitochondria, sleep, stress, nutrition, gut, and liver function. 
Yep, it's the entire kit and caboodle. Because honestly, when it comes to your metabolic health, it's not just calories in versus calories out, right? There are so many components to optimizing your metabolic health. And without that consideration around a female-centric approach, we are just struggling once we get through perimenopause. Now, you can register right now if you want to get that full-out blueprint for feeling your very best for many years to come while addressing your most disruptive symptoms. So all you got to do is simply register at drmarisa.com slash metabolism class, and you will get my new, never been released until today, comprehensive women's metabolic assessment guide on how to know if you are struggling with metabolic dysfunction. This information you will not get from your doctor, and it is so critical that you know it. The metabolic assessment is yours instantly to go and check out just for registering for the class. And again, you can find the link in my show notes to register easily. So now that you have all the deets to my upcoming Fix Your Hormone Masterclass next Tuesday on September 19th, I want to introduce you to Carrie, who has luckily been on the show before and one of my favorite people. So Carrie Jones is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, educator on the topic of women's health and hormones with over 20 years in the industry. Dubbed the queen of hormones, Dr. Jones is a naturopathic physician who did her two-year residency focused on women's health and endocrinology. She went to get her master's of public health and was one of the first to become board certified through the American Board of Naturopathic Endocrinology. She was the first medical director of the Dutch test and the first head of medical education at Rupa Health. She is currently the chief medical officer at New Ethics Formulations and the head of medical education at Metabolic Mentor University. Let's welcome Carrie to the show. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Carrie Jones. Oh, it's so good to see you. Likewise, I am so excited when you reached out. We're like, we have to talk. I'm like, we have to talk. I can't wait. We have to talk. We got to talk. And that was it. We, you were posting. I mean, obviously, I follow you on Instagram. You are phenomenal and amazing. And I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes, yes. How many yeses can I do here? Like, how many, how many hearts? And um, like, I'm like, shout it. Shout it from the rooftop. We need more of us doing that. And one of the, one of the things that I really got excited about that you were talking about recently was the FDA-approved mini pill called the O-Pill. And I don't even know if everyone knows that there is an FDA-approved O-Pill that is now with, you can get it without a prescription. And I'm not sure it's, if it's even hit all the drugstores yet. Not yet. It's coming. It's coming. But I know that there are a lot of people who are hearing about this and want to know more about it. And not only, so kind of a little bit of a caveat here is I think it's safe to say that you and I both agree that during a time where a lot of reproductive rights are being taken away, we do want women to be empowered to claim their reproductive health. And so there are some, some positives. Obviously, there's always nuances. But when it comes to birth control, I think that there is a level of, well, a lack of informed consent. And there's been marketing. I mean, you remember when we were in high school and it could fix, the birth control pill could fix everything. Oh, everything. Acne, skin, I mean, all of it, right? You had a bad boyfriend, it could fix that. You know, it, so it was, it promised, it promised us the world. I remember in the 1990s, early 2000s. And so I just want to just kind of get your take on kind of what was your first reaction when you saw that the FDA released this no prescription mini pill? It was good and bad. Good because I 100% agree with you. I'm all about, I'm a very pro 
choice type of person when it comes to reproductive rights, like the birth control pill. I want women to have access to it. The, the, the like, oh gosh, part <laughs> was the O pill is a little more challenging. It's more high maintenance compared to your regular pill. And I think maybe not, maybe not your listeners, cause you go really well into it, but some people don't even realize there's different kinds of pills. So there's an estrogen progestin combination. We call it the combo pill. And then we have the mini pill, which is only a progestin. A progestin is of course, a synthetic fake progesterone. And when you only have one half of the duo, you only have that progestin, we call it the mini pill, but it's really time sensitive. Like you have to be real specific on the time of day that you take it. If you miss it by a few hours, if you normally take it in the morning, but you've been traveling, time zone changes, so you took it at night, you can get irregular bleeding. It can You lose the birth control parts of it and it can actually bring on spotting or your period or something like that. So I was glad on the one hand to give the, you know, the choice back to women who need this uh, for whatever reason. But I was also like, dang it, but it is a high maintenance pill. Like if you don't have that education, if that pharmacist doesn't say, hey, look, you've got to be diligent on how you take it. And here are the side effects you have to watch out for. Um, if that doesn't happen, if they just hand them a sheet or if you've ever gone to a pharmacy, you know, and you get that huge printout that they sort of stuff in your bag and you're like, I'm never going to read this. Like this massive printout <laughs> with small, small letters. Yeah. You're like, I'm never reading this, but I'm hoping pharmacists at least hit the high point or people are listening to your podcast and go, all right, let's break this down. Got it. I know I need to take it at the same time every day. And then how are the side effects different given that it's progestin only versus a combo pill? Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about that. But also the other thing that's really interesting about the mini pill is it inconsistently suppresses ovulation. About 65% of the time it is going to suppress ovulation. I know the combination pill very much does it pretty much suppress ovulation. Almost all, any type of birth control pill or, or even IUD on the market is going to suppress ovulation most of the time. So just, I always lean on the side of it's most likely going to, and it's probably, even if it doesn't Ultimately, like let's say it doesn't suppress ovulation. It's just not, it's not cut and dry. It may, it may suppress some of the time. And that's a concern, you know, when it comes to birth control is, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if it's for contraception, but if you, if you're on it for all the other reasons why, you know, doctors put women on birth control, and we're going to talk about that today as well. Note that ovulation is the main event and, um, and us lacking that ovulatory cycle really is a detriment to our health. Um, especially if we're just using it as a symptom management tool. Right, exactly. And they even say, I was on the FDA website again this morning, pulling up their white paper and, you know, they'll, they'll, they say, we realize, and they're like FAQ sheet, we realize with the OPIL that it, it is that inconsistent leans on the, on the, it's going to suppress ovulation. So leans on the, like, it's pretty good at preventing pregnancy, which is great. That's what it's designed for. But in, in some women and, you know, there's questions around things like, Grapefruit, for example, grapefruit t speeds up how you process pills. So if you're drinking grapefruit juice or something, then, you know, if you're on a cleanse, let's say you've decided to do some big, heavy detoxification, you're going to speed up how fast you process this birth control pill. And this one in particular is going to get flushed out pretty quick. It's, it's just progestin and you already don't have close to hundred percent ovulation protection our prevention. So it, you know, it could go out. I've even read some things about adiposity, you know, depending on how much weight you carry, could that affect if you have more adiposity on you? Should you have a maybe a higher dose? We kind of know that with the birth control pills, somebody who has more weight to them 
we may not start them on the lowest combination pill because just because of the body mass and what the pill needs to do to the brain to suppress everything down. Not everybody falls in that category, but if you don't know and you go to your pharmacy and you're like, I'm just going to pick up the O-pill real quick and get protection because that's what I need. I just want everyone educated so they know the signs to look for. They know like it may not suppress ovulation all the time. If you're doing some big heavy detox, probably is not going to help you much with protection either. You know, some of these things I'm hoping make it into the pharmacy FAQ that they hand out. I think maybe over time they will. And I'm so grateful that we're talking about this because I just, you know, the stat usually around a mini pill is, you know, in terms of women getting pregnant, it's about 13 to 15% of women within the first year of taking a mini pill because you do have to be that exact. And it's hard to be that exact all the time. Like you mentioned, travel, you know, hopping, hopping um, time zones that can get a little complicated. And that's why often the mini pill isn't always recommended for contraception. It's often used really for hormone issues. And, and what I usually see it for is women that are breastfeeding, women who struggle with the combination pill, that they need something like a little bit less intense. A li I mean, I think the mini pill, I, and I was wondering if the reason why the it was FDA approved over the counter was that it has less I mean, I think some could argue that it has less side effects than a combination pill. Especially like heart risk. I was looking up stroke risk and the type of progestin that's in there. It's called norgestrel. And so a combination pill does, of course, have you know heart risk, stroke risk, whereas the progestin only the norgestrel does not seem to have that. And so that's one of the big, big side effects we have to watch out for in women who take birth control. Therefore, to make something over the counter we've got to minimize that risk as much as possible. So they were like, let's do progestin only. Yeah. Well, and then also even women with autoimmune conditions like Hajimoto's or lupus or endo or high blood pressure, or like I said, a history of blood clots and migraines. Again, I'm a migraine. I've had hundreds of migraines since I've been pregnant. And I, you know, I've had clusters. The last cluster of migraines I had actually landed me in the ER with, with my concussion. I had 12 days of migraines from um, June into July. And ultimately it got so scary that we were like, we should go get a a CT scan to see what's going on. And so for someone like myself and so many women who are having, pre, um, well, obviously mine were concussion driven and hormone driven. My migraines have lots of flavors, but I can guarantee that um, a migraines often, it's going to often occur for me about a, the day before or the day of my period as well. And that is a red flag for, you know, being really mindful about being on the combination pill you know, where we've got estrogen and synthetic estrogen and progesterone. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have seen migraine, migraine with aura. So for those who don't know, aura is when you get some sort of sensation that, you know, your migraine is coming as opposed to, oh, geez, I've got a headache and it turns into a migraine. So it's either like smell, hearing, vision, tunnel vision, like, or all the above, right? Or all the above. And then you can't figure it out. And then, and then your migraine comes. That's migraine with aura. And so I did I did read, they do have that on the sheet. Migraine with aura is still uh, something to, they're going to warn women about if they go on the, uh, the O-pill, uh, just like with a combination pill. Okay. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, but I'm glad we're bringing that up as well. Cause I think a lot of women don't realize that it, that is a contraindication migraine with aura for being on. Honestly, I personally, my own personal N of one experiment, I wouldn't, I would not go on birth control pills. One, I, I've never done well on them. I was always, my, it was just always a bad combination, me and birth control pills, but particularly because of my, my migraines and they always have aura with them and that I had preeclampsia during my pregnancy. That's a no-go for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And then the other things I want to talk a little bit about are the side effects of the mini pill. Would you like to share some of them or do you want me to? Yeah, so we can summarize some of the things we've already said. So again, just even if you take it perfectly every single day, just because it is a progestin only, you still have the chance for breakthrough bleeding or full on getting your period sooner. You're more higher at risk if you do miss a day or miss by a couple hours or miss because of time zone change. So so pregnancy is a side effect. Pregnancy is a side effect. I was just going to say, if this is you, uh, and there are other mini pills out there. There are women listening right now who are on the mini pill. It's just maybe not the O-pill, it's just something else. You do, and if you're using the mini pill as a pregnancy prevention, you will have to use some sort of barrier blockage so that pregnancy doesn't become one of the side effects. But very similar to the combination pill, you know, mood changes, GI changes, libido changes for the worse. Depression. I was going to say depression, anxiety, which falls under mood. Um, Again, skin. So the norgestrel and the O-pill is mildly androgenic. So it can kind of sort of maybe mildly bind to your androgen receptors. Those are like your testosterone receptors. So some women maybe have had worse acne with a birth control pill or or felt that they were maybe putting getting a, a body shape that was more, let's say, masculine, more androgenic is what we call it. And um, because it stimulates those receptors, more hair loss, male and female pattern baldness, hair growth in places we don't want because it is mildly androgenic. And I've absolutely had women say like, what the heck? I went on the pill to avoid these things and actually got these things. And that it's a second generation progestin that's in it, the norgestrel. And while it does bind to progesterone receptors, it mildly binds to androgen as well. Vision changes. Vision changes are one that we do have to watch also in the combination pill. Like I said earlier, the stroker is thankfully, according to the FDA sheet, is not a concern that we need to worry about. However, I never say never, like, right? Never say never, don't be the N of one. So if you do notice um, anything with your blood pressure, if you do notice anything with clotting, you know, with, you know, pain or swelling, heat fingers, swelling ankles, swelling limbs, something swelling, (laughs) let somebody know because we don't want you to be uh, a risk factor there. Oh, and then it's not not protective against uh, sexually transmitted infections. So while it's not a side effect, that you could develop, you could, of course, acquire one. So you do have to still use barrier protection to prevent STIs. Yeah, we're talking condoms, y'all, in case you're wondering. Yeah, in case you're wondering or something. <laughs> I know someone asked me a while back, so I was talking about, you know, the, just the, the risk of birth control in, in terms of, you know, treating symptoms versus even just contraception. And someone's like, well, what do you use? What do you do? I'm like, it's called condom. What's interesting, I mean, you know this, but I would, when I was in um, in my residency and then I worked at a number of what we call community clinics here in Portland. And sometimes, you know, somebody would get diagnosed with something and they were like, how did I, you know, how did I get this? And some of, you know, they're contact sport. So some things like HPV or herpes, you know, it's a contact sport as opposed to a fluid exchange. And so even just understanding that, being mindful of getting tested, making sure if you have a, you know, your partner's tested or can prove that they've been tested, use condoms, you know, that all of that is just going to help prevent sexually int- transmitted infections. And then the other two things I'm always looking out for is nausea, potentially ovarian cysts. Yeah, I think those, and breast tenderness. Nausea is a big one. Breast tenderness, breast tenderness, definitely. I forgot that one. Yes. Yeah. If they're feeling hard and lumpy and uncomfortable, I mean, you know what it feels like when you're feeling off and, and, and also nutrient deficiencies, 
which you won't note, you won't necessarily notice. You may notice that in low f- in fatigue, or maybe it's brain fog. Like that's where I find like, you know, you're not getting enough of your B vitamins, your magnesium, your selenium, your, your iron, like those where you'll start to notice maybe a lack of energy or your brain is just not firing the way that it used to. It's slightly different than feeling moody or anxious or depressed. Just, you're just like, oh, why do I not have the mental bandwidth that I used to have? In the, in the combination pills, um, in fact, I was talking to a pharmacist the other day and in a combination pill, it depletes basically a multivitamin's worth of nutrients in your body. And I was asking this pharmacist, why don't you automatically recommend a good quality multi with birth control? And they were like, I know we should, we don't talk about it enough. We, you know, hopefully the person who prescribes the birth control will do it for them, says something, suggests it, but they're like, no, it's well known in the pharmacy world that the combination birth control. So even though this is a progestin only, I would still be hesitant to give you nothing. I'd be like, you know what? Let's cover our bases and get you on a good quality multivitamin while you're on it. Let's try to reduce the risk of some of these things. Yeah. I mean, living life alone day to day with the amount of stress and toxins and everything that we're dealing with, we are depleting a lot of our reserves you know, and then you tack on a, a prescription like birth control or non-prescription in this particular case. And it's just, it's kind of stacking the deck is more so than anything else, you know? And, and that's what I think we just have to be mindful of is just like, you know, how much depletion are we experiencing just in a stress state, you know, just trying to get through our day in survival mode. And then, you know, you add on the O-pill and it just could just be a little extra layer of, you know, of feeling depleted in terms of our, our just our body's not functioning well. Yeah, especially if you're on other medications that are known to deplete. Like metformin is a good one. Metformin is also known as glucophage. And I bring it up because women's health, commonly in PCOS, right? And so it's well known. Uh, metformin, glucophage depletes B12 and other B vitamins. And then you layer the birth control like O-pill or something, combination on top of it, coupled with life, as you just said. And if nobody's bothered to check your B12 levels or any of your levels, then it's a real disservice to you because B12 fatigue is a big one. You know, depression, mood is a big one. Neurologic issues are a big one. Balance is, lack of balance is a big one. There's a number of things that go along with losing B12. And so just knowing that little tidbit alone can be so helpful for somebody who might think, geez, I'm on both of those pills. I didn't even, I didn't even realize. Well, and those are often very much combined. If you get a diagnosis for PCOS, that's like, that's the two scripts. Here you go. That and Spiro, right? That and Spiro and Electone. <laughs> yes. It's kind of like the, yeah. So just something to think about, you know, we've got so many women trying to heal polycystic ovarian syndrome and just doing what the doctors say that they need to do. It can be really hard to get a breadth of information about what are the what are the implications or what are the side effects of of taking a lot of these medications together as they're recommended together. Yeah. And then well, thankfully there are some great sites. Talk to your pharmacist when you pick up the pill because that is free to have a little consult with your pharmacist and say, look, I'm on this, I'm I'm gonna pick up the O pill, or even if you're on a combination pill or I am taking glucophage, you know what vitamins and nutrients is de- like depleted. Do you have some sort of handout? Do you have something that can help me? Just ask. Thankfully, the information is out there. And I love that we're having this conversation because once again, as you said in the beginning, we're not against this, but we sure want you educated for it if you're going to choose it. Yes, absolutely. And one of the, and I know you probably know about this technology as well. I had the founder or the inventor of it on the show, but it's Natural Cycles, the FDA approved um, birth control app that is as effective as birth control. It's, it's when for, with perfect use, it's 98% 
with regular use, it's 93%, which is what's on most <laughs> uh, birth control. That's what the FDA says birth control is. Yeah. And what I love about it is I, I've used it before. This app, you, you can pair it with an aura ring, but if you can't afford an aura ring, then you do your basal temperature every single morning. And that information gets translated into the app. And within the first month, it's pretty much 98% effective with perfect use, 93% effective with regular, you know, kind of loosey-goosey use, I guess you could say. And there's no chemicals here. There's nothing put, being put into your body. It's not, you know, it's literally an app. And it's been FDA approved here in the States. It is um, whatever the, I forget what it's called in, in Europe. It was actually introduced to Europe. And I believe in like New Zealand and Australia first. And now it's here in the U.S. And it's called Natural Cycles. Again, it's an app. But the one thing you have to consistently do is every morning is track your, your basal temperature so that it knows when your ovulatory window is. And so it can say with exact precision, pretty much, you know, when to, when to have sex. Again, it's not going to protect you from STDs. This is an app. It's not a condom. But it will, if you follow it and you stay within your window, you're pretty much as close to using a combination pill without any of the side effects. So I wanted to just bring that up. Which is wonderful. That's amazing. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I think that's absolutely amazing. And it'll help women list, understand their body better, you know, especially because all the books say, well, you ovulate on day 14. And in fact, I think it was Nicole Jardim, who did a post the other day about it's like this tiny percentage who actually do ovulate on day 14. Like it's way lower than anyone ever thought, but that's what gets taught in the books all the time. So I would have all these patients who were trying to get pregnant or trying to avoid pregnancy thinking that day 14 was the magic day when really that was day 12 for them. Yeah. Or day 18 or something. And they were completely, you know, they were like, how am I pregnant? I didn't want to be. I'm like, well, because the your window, you hit it in the window. <laughs> you didn't realize it. Yeah. I mean, and that really begs the importance of tracking your cycle. And if you have an app like that, what I love about this app as well is it is also over the counter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's obviously over the counter. <laughs> it's accessible. It's accessible, which is what we want. It's a nice option. And it's cheaper than the pill too. So I just wanted to share that because I think a lot of women still don't know that that exists out there, that there is an app that tracks your temperature every single day and can nail it on the head when you are fertile and when you are not. I think that that information is so helpful either because you're trying to get pregnant or you're trying to not get pregnant. It goes one way or the other. And I really think it also really advocates for body literacy and really understanding your cycle and, and really learning more about you and body awareness around your cycle. And so I know there's a lot of great apps out there, but what I love about this, it just kind of combines all of it um, and also ensures that you don't get pregnant if you're not trying to get pregnant. And body literacy is something I wish that all of us were taught from a pretty young age. You know, for a lot of families, it can be very embarrassing. For some families, they don't have a mother figure who can teach them about this, or it's very shameful, or it's just an awkward conversation to have, right? When I wish it was half the population are women. Right? Can we just say that one more time? That 50% of the population are women? Which means a whole lot of us are getting our period and have been, you know, from puberty. So if we could normalize. Yeah, bring life into this world. Hmm. Yeah. If we could normalize talking about our periods, tracking periods, body awareness, awareness, gosh, I just, that just makes me excited. Cause I'm like, we, I feel like we could just be so much more empowered and so much further along. If we knew what was happening, we'd be a lot less doctor visits, right? There'd be a lot less practitioner, a lot less stress, a lot less 
you know, thinking something was normal when in fact it was common, but not normal. And we would know what to do because we've been trained at it from a young age. And so that's my, that's my wish. People listening to this, start teaching your girls at a young age about body awareness. Or even tap into, so I had Holly Griggs Spall on the show and she has an app called Tina and it's all about body literacy for girls as teenagers. And it is amazing. It's this incredible education that's super body body positive and really educates because you know how wonky it is for us when we're teenagers. You know, our it's almost like we have symptoms of PCOS at a very early age. And unfortunately, I don't know if you read this stat recently, but almost 30% of our teenagers have prediabetes. Gosh, no, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so- there's probably a little, I mean, obviously our periods are really wonky and they're inconsistent during our, during our teenage years. And it can be really hard to understand what's going on with our bodies. But then also we have this uptick in insulin resistance and um, prediabetes that could be playing a role in our, our menstrual health as well. And so those are just some things that I think are really important to understand mood changes and mood swings. You know, when I was growing up, I came from a Catholic family. And so for one, it was a sin. I mean, all things that women do. Um, so it was it was this thing that you didn't talk about. And then I, I, I had a, an evil stepmother who would literally like wait and track and check the trash cans and see when I was going to start having a period. And then she would just bash me the entire time I had a period. So I, I hated, I hated that part of me because it was this, it was just filled with so much shame and filled with so much like just shame and and embarrassment and it was just something that I I learned to not love about myself and it wasn't until way later in life that I realized that it was a superpower this whole time and I was I and I was just beat up about it my you know my whole life if I ever like bled in my underwear she would make me scrub them in front of her like that's how crazy she was and so you know I I and not to say that anyone's having that experience but I feel like there's been so many weird experiences that our generation had and even our mom's generation had around their period and and that it was just something we didn't talk about or it was something we had a lot of shame around. I remember, you know, when girls were starting to have periods when I was in sixth and seventh grade, boys would bully the girls who had them. It was just, just so, eh. So I, I'm really hoping that we do shift the conversation. And I, I do believe that a lot of that is changing this generation. Yeah, I do too. And I see it on social media, you know, for better or worse, social media, but I Definitely think that awareness is there and the education is coming out. And um, that part makes me really happy because that's a horrible traumatic experience you had to go through. And imagine if you didn't resolve or work through or recognize. Imagine if you weren't in the field that you were in. And so you continue to this day and then you continue to pass down that generational trauma to, let's say, you know, other females, other girls in your life, future children that are girls, you know, whatever it is. And it's the cycle doesn't get broken. It just gets passed down instead. Well, yeah. Cheers to all the cycle breakers out there. Yes. <laughs> a different conversation for a different day. All right, I want to pivot a little bit in talking about birth control for women in our, in our demographic, in our community, in perimenopause and even into menopause. Ooh, it breaks my heart when I meet women that are in their like mid to late fifties that are still on the pill because they don't have any other options. They weren't told. Are they and they were told that they? I, I've had so many women tell me like their doctor like was like you have to stay on this, and I was like what? I had women, I had patients who would say, I'm, I'm going to stay on the pill until I get through menopause, and then I will go off because I don't want to deal with menopause. And honestly, at the time it was fifty fifty. So fifty percent of them 
could sort of get through menopause and then they would come off the pill and and they would be done. But the other 50%, it was like this venge, revenge from the body. Like just, it all came out. They had horrible periods and horror. They'd been suppressing their own natural hormones for so long that went, and yet they were transitioning to perimenopause and menopause at the same time. And so they were like, this is awful. What happened? I should never have stayed on the pill this long. I've been on it, you know, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, depending and this this is awful. I'm like, I know, I know. And there are amazing other options. I wish somebody would have told you about that. And actually, before before we got started, I told you the story of I went to see my OBGYN, who at the time, she was 46, 47. So I was probably turning 40 at the time. And uh, she, we started talking about hormones because of what I do. And I'm into hormones. And she said, well, I'm on the birth control pill. And she was one of those women. She said, I'm just going to stay on the pill all the way through menopause. And I said, well, what made you decide to stay on the pill? Why aren't you on Prometrium or you know, bioidentical estradiol or whatever she needed, right? And she said, she said, well, what other, the pill's the only option I have. And I thought, oh, of course, in your world, that makes sense. You know, as, it, as an OBGYN, she lives and breathes the birth control pill. And to her, it made sense to just go back on the birth control pill in her 40s to move her through into her 50s. And I'm not saying all OBGYNs are like this at all. Obviously, there are some who do understand by, you know, prescribing HRT, right? But I feel like a large majority were just, she was just shocked. Like there are other options. I thought the pill was it. I thought, oh my gosh, you could even get them at the pharmacy. It's not even some crazy secret, you know, dark room that we get them from. That's like prescription prometrium, prescription estrogen patches. And like we get them at your pharmacies. (laughs) CVS, baby, down the street, Walgreens. I picked up mine yesterday. I have no shame in telling everybody right now that I'm on 200 milligrams of prometrium right now. Yes, because- that's what I'm needing right now in my in my season. And one of the things I know you and I both agree on is that we do not, women, need to suffer needlessly. And especially, you know, I think even the conversation of bioidentical hormones or even, you know, HRT in general isn't even really a conversation until women are in menopause. And I'm like, but what about the hot mess? 10 years, we're getting to there that can feel just so disruptive and so crazy. The sleep, the brain fog, the massive mood swings, the crying one minute and raging the next. Like, what about that decade? You know, why don't we have something? And so I really want it. One of my big missions is to shift the conversation around what about bioidentical hormones in perimenopause? Like, can we talk about this? Can we talk about this? as one of your tools. You know what's funny is that I was at a conference. I was on I was in a, a integrative medicine conference a couple months ago and I met a, a doctor there who had never she sailed into menopause. She just she had no symptoms, no issues. One day her period ended and she was not in denial. You know, like we joked about that. She said, "No, no, I'm a very aware person. I wasn't, you know, I'm not pretending this." And her sister was the same way. So genetically, I said, can we bottle up what you have and sell it? You'll make you'll make a fortune. You got just a plethora of neurotransmitters and amazing liver and your gut microbiome is killing it. And obviously insulin sensitivity. That she was not. <laughs> that she was not. But she didn't have hot flashes or night sweats or she just felt like compared to her friends and her colleagues that she talked with, or, you know, she said, I just didn't have any of those symptoms. And one day my period ended. And it ended. She didn't have the like, skip a few months, then come every two weeks. She's like, I didn't have any of that. She didn't like stand in the waiting room for a year and a half? In all of my years, she was probably the second person who had ever told me that. And I believe it was yesterday. 
I can't remember. Oh, Mindy Pels. Mindy Pels did a post. Yes, Dr. Mindy Pels did a post yesterday on menopause. And one person commented, it's not a disease. I've never had any menopausal symptoms. I wish you would stop telling people that it's awful and bad things are coming because I never had bad symptoms. I cruise through menopause. So I think you need to promote that more. And the amount of comments that blew up underneath who were like, it's horrendous for me. Nobody told me, nobody warned me. I'm having these, all these symptoms. I mean, it was just like all these women just rallied and said, no, unfortunately, good for you. But the large majority of us really struggle. And I was like, yes, this is why you're out there educating. Mindy's out there educating. I'm out there educating because we don't get taught this. This is not something you learn in health class at school, right? In health class, we learn like the intro stuff, puberty stuff, how to make a baby. No, in health class, we learned about sperm. Right? The P goes in the V and then you make a baby. So don't do that, right? Like that's what we learned. Like there's no, we didn't, and then we have no other classes. We didn't get a class in our thirties. We didn't get, like nobody gave us a class. And so, so many women hit their forties and go, what is happening? Cause I've changed nothing. And I'm like, oh girl, everything is happening. All your hormones, all of them, everything from your estrogen, progesterone, to your testosterone, your cortisol, to your insulin, to your glucose, to your thyroid, to your brain neurotransmitters, to your gut neurotransmitters, everything is changing because of this reverse puberty. You're reversing out into menopause. And we, I am here to say, I'm grateful and glad for the people who have zero symptoms and sail into menopause. They are the way minority. If they can elaborate on what their trick is, just let us know. That'd be great. Or maybe they don't realize. I've had so many women, I'm looking at them like, girl, like. Yeah, this is very menopause. Yeah, maybe you didn't have those symptoms, but I'm seeing symptoms. You know, you just don't identify those symptoms as menopause. That's a really good point. You so insulin sensitivity is what you what you mentioned. So the other day, I I found this article that just gave validity to the fact that so many women gain weight in menopause, and it's a biological thing because of our partly because of our estradiol declining, and this whole domino effect occurs of like where we store weight from, where our weight shifts to, our our fat cells called adipose cells, our adipose cells change how we make them changes with the loss of estradiol and menopause, the decline changes our microbiome completely. So we think our gut health is good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. And then we hit menopause, lose estradiol and the microbiome is like, well, what the heck? And it completely changes for the worse. Unfortunately, you know, our brain, our heart, our skin, our bones, this loss of estradiol. Now there is a lot of foundational work that you talked about all the time on your podcast And it's super important. But on top of that, since it's the topic of conversation today, if you're a candidate, hormone replacement therapy of some sort, and there's a lot of type of hormones out there, is probably going to do a body good. I want to speak into this real quick. One, your body is changing without your permission. Sorry, ladies. That is what's happening. I had an episode this year before the brain issue, and um, I was going to start lifting heavy weights. And I hired Gabrielle's personal trainer here in Encinitas. And um, he, I mean, he decimated me. But before I went into that, I ran all my labs. I ran hormones, everything, all of it. Insulin, fasting insulin, everything, microbiome testing. I did all the functional labs and everything was a superb optimal going in. And like my mom suffered from pretty severe PMDD, especially in perimenopause. I mean, I watched her, she would lock herself up in the house 
because she just couldn't even go out to see people. She was had so much rage. She would just stay in the house for like three days before her period because that's when it was the worst. And I remember really, you know, helping her through that process and it getting better, but always just knowing that that was there. All my, again, the foundational pieces that I've been working so hard and so diligently on, again, what has, what slipped for me were my hormones. And I have felt a shift and change this year in 2023, like, like, you know, a full 180. And, and, that, and that's with the foundation. That's what people would, would, I would argue that a lot of my metabolic markers are in, in optimal range across the board, but my hormones had tanked because I had had, a, you know, I had a baby later in life. I breastfed him longer than most and, and I'm okay with that. But I knew that the, the the sacrifice of that was that most likely my hormones were going to tank by the time I was on the other side. And it was going to have mostly a profound impact on my mood and my mental agility, my mental resilience. And that were those were the two areas that really shifted for me that around five to seven days prior to my period right now, everything feels insurmountable, you know? And so I'm now on testosterone and prometrium. Um, and we are, we're going to be looking, we're running labs again in a couple of weeks and we're just going to see like, is estrogen even, is it necessary at this time? And so, um, I don't have any symptoms of estrogen dominance and, and all that, but it, it's, you know, even when you've got so many things dialed, those hormones are so game changing. And then so many of us don't have a lot of that dialed. That's the truth. So I'm 46. Uh, one of my best friends is 47 and we, have been off and on playing with continuous glucose monitors because, you know, we have access to it and we're trying different things and, and playing with it. So we know what to tell our patients, of course. And so last year, the last two years, my glucose, fasting glucose is great. What I eat, how I exercise, I had pretty good, met, what I call metabolic control or metabolic flexibility that I would, I would say. And this year, so I'm 46 this year that we're recording this, um, I had a continuous glucose monitor in and I was pre-diabetic most of the time. And I thought, stupid sensor. You know, like it's got to be the sensor, right? It's it's broken. It's got to be broken. And they some of them are broken. It's broken. Some of them are, but she had the same thing. She had the same thing. So she used the same company, the same type and um she screenshots, "Carrie, Carrie, I'm above 100. I'm frasty. I'm above 100. I'm in the 100. I'm pre-diabetic." And she's 47. She said nothing's changed. And she's pretty foundationally solid. I mean, none of us are perfect, but you know, for what we know, what we do, pretty foundationally solid. And both of us went, stupid hormones. <laughs> Our stupid hormones. We just have to work. I mean, I hate to say it harder. Even Cynthia Thurlow and I have talked about this and with her fasting, intermittent fasting. And um, she, we were talking about hormones for the same reason because she said this similar that something happened to her, like realizing like stupid hormones and metabolic flexibility. And she sees it in her clients and patients as well. Well, and then also I just want to, just the caveat, which kind of makes it a little bit scarier is that when the medical system starts to flag us for prediabetes or for type two diabetes, and then it's thought that we're going to be at greater risk for cardiovascular disease, stroke, and cardiac arrest. What we're finding now is that women f happen to have a greater risk earlier with, with lower levels of fasting blood glucose. So, you know, when we're, when they're they're flagging us at 125, 126, really we're starting to see even levels around 109. You know, 108 are putting us at that risk of what 126 is. And so, we haven't skewed the numbers to really kind of nail when women become at greater risk for some of these more chronic diseases like 
um, cardiovascular disease, dementia, and, and type 2 diabetes. And so we need to really shift the new guidelines or the new standards, particularly for women, especially as we enter menopause. I 100% agree. And unfortunately, I think because they this is just speculation, because they don't necessarily know how to handle that, you know, changing guidelines is always a really big deal. And if they lower the glucose down to, let's say, hey, anything over 100 or 110 compared to 125, 126, I mean, that's, that's, you and I agree, it needs to happen. Like we need to bite that bullet, but think of all the women that are in that category and getting told you're normal, you're fine, you're normal, you're not, you're fine, you're pre-diabetic. So just watch what you eat. You're not diabetic yet. Once you cross into diabetic, then, and then we'll deal with it. Meanwhile, just as you said, they're at the high risk for brain, you know, degeneration, heart, cardiometabolic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, why wouldn't we want to prevent this as soon as we find it? Why are we waiting till we fall off the cliff at 100, a glucose of 126? And insulin is very similar. There's a study that I quote a lot because the when you get a fasting insulin, the reference range usually says anything under 25 is acceptable. And in functional medicine world, we often say anything you know under five, so three, four, or five, right, is okay. So I find this study and it says, hey, if you have high levels of fasting insulin, you are at a much higher risk for cardiometabolic syndrome. So I'm like, cool, what's considered high fasting insulin? And it was an, it was like over 7.9. And I was like, whoa, that's way different than 25. So anything over 7.9 is considered high fast insulin. Moderate was between like 4.9 and 7.9 when I thought, well, this is why we often say under five is ideal for insulin. Yes, I understand 25 is the reference range, but I don't want someone, anyone to develop cardiometabolic disease. Cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of humans. Why am I waiting until you hit 26 on the insulin draw, blood draw, to do something about it? I don't want you to get cardiometabolic disease. Yeah. And, and we need to be looking at fasting insulin. You know, that's, it's insulin resistance. That's the, that's the troublemaker here. And, and we're, we're waiting until we're just looking at hemoglobin, hemoglobin A1C, which is a, you know, a, a compilation of the, those three months, or we're looking at your fasting blood glucose and often a little too late. And we just recently shifted the guidelines from, you know, 110 down to hundred for prediabetes. And so they're going to be like, well, we just changed those, you know? And so I don't see them changing them anytime soon, but I, it's, it's an, we have to be having this conversation and we need to be looking at a fasting insulin. That's what's going to really show what's going on. And I believe that it's around, you know, by, by 45 years old, around 88% of women have some level of insulin resistance, which makes sense. Unfortunately, it can be sneaky. I just had a case yesterday of a woman with PCOS and the fasting glucose, she's on glucophage. So she's on metformin and her fasting glucose was in the eighties. And so her, you know, doctor kept saying, everything's fine. You know, you're fine doing fine, which is true. Her glucose, fasting glucose in the eighties, that's great. Um, but her insulin was in the double digits. And I was like, that's not great. That's not great. Like this is a problem. It's a major problem with things like metformin as, as well, like that we're seeing, you know, that yeah, we're we're in even even having insulin recommended to you as a type 2 diabetic. Yeah, we're controlling blood glucose, but we are flooding the system with insulin. And so there are detrimental bigger detrimental effects, cardiometabolic effects of having you know, a hyperinsulinemia in the system that just complicates things. It's just it's very complicated. Yeah. For all the menopausal, perimenopausal women listening, we kind of sound doom and gloom. I, we don't mean it that way. 
right? Like what we mean is like, this is, this is really important and your primary care or GP or OBGYN might blow this off a little bit or might say you're in the range, so you're fine, or this is common. It's menopause, just ride through it. And we're to say, you know, one, we need you to be extra aware because we don't want you to develop cardiometabolic or neurodegenerative like dementia and Alzheimer's, which these are risks for. And two, there's a lot of hope. Like there's just because you maybe got, went and got your blood drawn and you're like, crap, I'm in my forties. Just like they said, my blood sugar is hundred and my insulin's, t- you know, 10 or 17 or whatever it is. We're not telling you that there's nothing you can do because you're menopausal. There's there's the foundations and considering hormones, but we do need to be aware that it is probably coming. Winter is coming. It's real. It's 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 91 percent of us by the time we're 50. It is it is you. Let's just say, I mean, unless you are the lucky nine percent or the or the eight percent, it's it's almost all of us. And it and it has to do with you know it, it's a convergence of a lot of things. One hormones declining. So our hormone protectors are are leaving us and are, you know, in in that transition over to menopause. And then, you know, we live a modern life. Women are busier than ever. They've got more on their plate than ever. We are more stressed than ever. We are flooded with ultra-processed foods. We're not moving the way that we should. And we're on our phones right before bedtime. I mean, like, there's a lot of things that we, we can take ownership of. And we do have the ability to reverse our biological age, to increase our health span, but we've got to be mindful about it. We have to be intentional about it. I I will say that every day I think about what I'm doing, how I'm moving, how, what I'm eating, you know, what's going to be my future brain? What's going to be my future microbiome? What's going to be my future? Who's making more mitochondria for me? You know, that's who, that's what I want to know. Who's, 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 who's a part of the mitochondria factory in my body? Those are the, you know, and, and so I think when we can be mindful and the sooner that we can do that, like, at, you know, mid to late thirties is where we really get to harness some of this. And as we start to, you know, gradually build a lifestyle, I was, you know, interviewing Dr. Stacey Sims and she's like, this is a lifestyle. You are going to lift heavy weights at 80. You know, it's it's not about burning yourself out in, in your 40s because you start to see these changes. It's about, you know, gradually adopting these, these lifestyle shifts and changes that are going to carry you through decades, decades. And, and that's really what I, I want to spend a little bit of time on as well. But note that Carrie and I are both saying that on the table are bioidentical hormones if you are a candidate for them. And a lot of us are. And you really deserve to be on them if you can be on them and you have symptomology. Yeah, absolutely. And if your practitioner maybe isn't a fan of them or doesn't agree or is not that educated in them, we are giving you full permission to go find a second opinion. It's okay to add to your healthcare team. If you really like your general practitioner for things like colds, flus, your annual physical, great, keep them. But for if hormones is not what they know, totally cool to be like, I'm going to find somebody who gets hormones. I'm not buying milk at the hardware store. I'm not buying milk at all, but um, I'm not buying almond milk at the hardware store. So, you know, that's the point is that, you know, you go to an endocrinologist, even still, you're, again, it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be a lot of medications. And, you know, so we want to, you want to make sure that you're finding the type of doctor that's going to give you, you know, the path that you're looking for. And I get that functional medicine can be very expensive. I understand. And that's why I'm hoping that episodes like this, interviews like this, really open the door for what is possible. Um, and then you can really dial in what you're, who you're looking for. 
Yeah, absolutely. And thankfully, some of those estrogens, progesterone, um, that you know, we're t- Prometrium is an example. It's prescription that you can pick up at your CVS, you know, Walgreens, your typical pharmacy. It's not something that has to be specialty compounded. You can go that route, but there are absolutely bioidentical hormones available. So if you do have a doctor or practitioner that's somewhat savvy, and it's like, you know what, let's let's try, let's try the estrogen patch, which is bioidentical. Let's try Prometrium with you. And they're willing to help and learn and work with you. Go for it. Go for it. That's a great start. Get help. Carrie, I would love for you to share a little bit about, you know, what you're doing right now at your age. You know, you you put the CGM on and you were just like, oh, hell no. That CGM was not what I was in. I'm, I'm taking it that it probably wasn't broken. And so when you, when you get numbers like that, when you're waking up with fasting, I honestly, I would freak out if I saw a fasting blood sugar of 100. I think mine are usually, usually if I wake up with at a fasting blood sugar at 80, I'm like, oh, what did I do last night? Did I not go to bed early? Did I eat dinner a little too late? Like, that's how detailed I've become. I'm just like, I know me. You know, we have dinner before six. And then we go on a walk as a family. And then I go to bed at 10. You know, there's a four-hour gap between my last meal and, 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 and sleep. And let me tell you, my aura ring and my whoop strap, it will, they will all tell me what's up, you know? Um, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of what are you, and I get that this is your, your own personal experience, your own end of one, but also we're pulling from research, you're pulling from patient experiences as well. Um, so if you'd be willing to share a little bit about what you're doing and then just some general recommendations that I can shake my head about so that they're hearing it from somebody else as well. For me, most definitely the, a big one that I adhere to really pretty well is I have a strong wind down routine and that's wind with a D, not wind with an E. What? Did not say wine with an E. Well, I do love a good glass of wine. I have very much realized in the last several years, wine, alcohol does not love me, right? And I remember when I was in practice and quite young, a lot younger, all my women in their 40s would go, you wait, you will not be able to drink alcohol when you hit perimenopause. And I was like, whatever, (laughs) I, I can do this. And they were right. Even the occasional glass of wine, you know, nope, not worth it. And so I have to do a lot of prep work before and after to do that. And so wind down. So I'm definitely that person who's either, you know, blue light blocking glasses or I switch my, the background on my phone. I have, you know, the shortcut on my phone is I click the side button three times and the background flips to like an orangey red. Just look it up, Google it. You can how to make that a shortcut. And it's a one-time thing that can change everything for you. It carries over to all your phones. So if you get a new phone or upgrade or whatever, it stays, that shortcut stays in the cloud and then comes on your new phone. It's great not to learn it with all the new phones. I figured out. I love those one-time fixes, like getting all your lights fixed in your bedroom so that it's your the harsh light isn't hitting you, you know? Like these are one-time fixes. You don't have to do it every single day. Which is great. Yes. So, and I drink organic India's Tulsi tea, um, which is one of my absolute favorites. So again, like I had just have a rhythm. I know, well, I can start. So we have dinner, which is usually early like you. And then um, we have a dog who's very active. So we go on, we call it um, nighttime walk. So we have dinner. And then by seven, the dog is like, hello, it's nighttime walk time. So we go on a 15, 20 minute walk through our neighborhood, rain, snow, sleet, hail, ice. It doesn't matter. The dog goes on a walk. It's that kind of dog. So I get my walking in and then, um, you know, and then I make, we make our Tulsi tea and usually wind down for the night. Yes, for sure. Occasionally last night I was on my computer. I had to be, you know, but I was mindful of that. I sleep with a sleep mask. 
most nights, you know, sometimes it falls off, but I have this gigantic sleep mask that I absolutely love to sleep in darkness. And then in the morning when I get up, the dog prefers that I feed him. So I will get up, feed him, open, we have a backslider door, open the backslider door, enjoy some sunlight, if especially if it's spring, summer, fall, get that full spectrum light in and go from there. So I'm pretty diligent, like in the, like the, the start of my day and the end of my day, I'm pretty regimented in because the middle of the day can go to chaos, right? But at least I'm locked in on the, the start and the end. Those are what matter. That's what's super helpful. I'm a big journaler. So I'm big, so stress reduction, I'm being very mindful of how am I handling stress? What's going through my body, shadow work, movement to get the stress out, you know, essential oils. However, I'm managing stress, I'm finding as I get into my mid 40s that I am more reactive, less, less graceful than I used to be. Breathing and practicing on, you know, breathing exercises. And I'm not saying I do these things every single day, but I will pick what I need in the moment and use it. Exercise, I was definitely not doing weight bearing exercise enough. So I've switched and now I do pretty uh, four or five days a week. I either do, I do weight in combination with like something Pilates like and going back and forth and then walking a lot. Cause I have a high maintenance dog who likes to go on a lot of walks. And do you like being outside too, Carrie? Do you like it? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Even, and I'm in the Pacific Northwest where it rains, you know, 10 months of the year. I just put on the gear and take the dog for a walk. The dog does not mind rain and we just go and it, I get my steps in. Can we be best friends? <laughs> My gosh, absolutely. Have you found, I found I've had to double down on these things. Whereas before I would do them pretty regularly or, but I'm just more aware now. Like I am not handling stress like I used to. I am not sleeping like I used to. I, you know, like, oh my gosh, my blood sugars like I used to. And so now I'm finding just as Stacey Sims says, it's a much more hardcore lifestyle than you probably anticipated. You know, like it's for the rest of my decades. My family lives a long time. Three out of my four grandparents lived until the late 80s, mid 90s. I'm in my 40s and perimenopause. Like I know I've got probably a good 40, 50 more years on me. And so um, I want to be thriving and all the things. I do take progesterone like you. Hit or miss with sometimes with DHEA, depending on labs, if I need it or not. Not to be TMI, but funny story is I went to get a pap and I asked my OBGYN, you know, I was like, how do things look down there? <laughs> I feel like they're good still. And she's like, you have, she's like, your pieces and parts look like they have a lot of estrogen. You're still good. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, she's like, everything's pink and healthy. And, you know, we have a lot, they're called, the little waves on the inside are called rugae. She's like, you have a lot of rugae. And I was like, oh, I know I won't have those forever, but I'm glad to have them now. <laughs> Just enjoy, enjoy it while you got it. <laughs> Just enjoy it while I still got it. So, and, and then I obviously, and I've been doing this a while, I, the toxins, right? Endocrine disrupting toxins, I'm very, very mindful of as best as I can. So fragrance, plastics, chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, my skincare, house cleaning, you know, our, even our mattress, like we've really done all the things. But as I tell people, I have been doing this since 1999, so I'm way further along in my book series than somebody who's listening to this for the first time and looking around at all the beautiful candles that they have out on display and realizing, ah, oh, man. That's a migraine starter for me right there. <laughs> I should probably get rid of those. I know. I'm, it's 100%. And so just even things like that, I've been you know extra, even more extra mindful of. And so just all that, it's just that foundational work. 
And then with the blood sugar, now I'm more mindful of carbs, sugar, dark chocolate is my absolute addiction. And so just plain dark chocolate, not cookies, not brownies, just plain dark chocolate. 88% is what I eat. Whoever makes it, whoever gets it, I'll eat it. I know Hugh doesn't make 88%, um, but Evolve does. Evolve does. There's several. Endangered does. Hugh does. Hugh makes a, I mean, I think they're an 80. So there's a couple, you know, that make. But carbs, you know, just be mindful of rice and quinoa and, you know, I'm gluten-free. So gluten-free toast or whatever I'm doing, I do know as I'm making this transition, I have to be super mindful and lift heavy things. I love it. I love it. And and just really quickly, any any supplementation that you feel is a game changer for you specifically? Are you taking any like vitamin D, making sure that's good to go or our levels are looking great? The two things I take pretty religiously for me, one is sulforaphane. One is sulforaphane for estrogen detoxification. I do not have great genetics when it comes to estrogen receptor, estrogen detoxification. So I have been mindful of that for many, many years. And then two is magnesium, 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 magnesium. I can tell immediately if I've forgotten my nighttime magnesium, I could literally do Epsom salt baths and take magnesium and use topical oil. And for some reason, it's not enough. I don't know genetically. I don't know if I burn through magnesium or I can't absorb it like the average person, but I feel I'm so much better when I take magnesium. So I make sure never to skip it. And obviously I do love D. I do love my omegas. I do love my B complex, but my sulforaphane and my magnesium are the two things I'd grab if I could only grab two things. And can you tell me dosage wise, how much are you taking? 600 milligrams? You're taking close to a gram of magnesium or where do you, where do you land? Honestly. So I let the universe decide. I just tap the bottle over and however many falls out, that's what I take. So sometimes it's for 300, 400, and sometimes it's definitely close to a gram. So yeah. I kick it up to a gram, definitely towards the end of my luteal phase. And I have spray. I will use magnesium oil spray and I'll do that like bottoms of the feet, calves. I get headaches as well, uh, menstrual headaches. So I make sure to rub it on my upper traps and my neck, especially in the luteal phase to help relax. So I'll do that in combination with a oral magglycinate or something like that. Yeah. I think what I'm walking away and I think everyone as they're listening is the in, how intentional you are. And, you know, and how, you know, every day, and here's the thing, it's built into your life. You are still high octane mom. You are running, um, you know, you're a mini empire. Like there's a lot of other hats that you are wearing all the time and your, your daily lifestyle and how you take care of your body is integrated in to your life. I want to just add to that piece specifically. I've been doing it so long. It's not a stressor for me. And I'm also very forgiving that if I skip something other than magnesium, I'm also forgiving as well. If I don't get that heavy lift in today, I don't beat myself up. You know, it doesn't stress me out. I know listening to this, some of the first timers, the newbies are going to be like, oh, that's ridiculous. I can never add that into my routine. That's too much. And I get it. But remember, I've been working on this since 1999 when I figured out naturopathic integrative functional medicine. So I'm way further along in my book series. <laughs> you are maybe at chapter one and you're just going to start with one thing and then you're going to build. And eventually it's going to become things you just can't live without. It's things you crave and love. You just like live for your nighttime tea or you're obsessed with your sleep mask or you get super excited for your, your nighttime walks or whatever it is, your breathing exercises, your hormones, <laughs> whatever it is, it, you will crave it as opposed to kind of maybe freak out right now. And that kind of leads me to the last question, because I know we've been talking for so long and we can go on for so long, much longer. But, you know, someone listening to this and they are thinking, whoa, you guys, 
it's overwhelming. Like, girl, we, I didn't even share my routine. Like, ooh, oh goodness. And so you're listening and you're thinking like, I, I can't even like, I'm just trying to get through my day. Like I'm in, I'm in just handling the things I need to handle for my family. If you had to, if you had to start all over again, Carrie, and, and you started having symptoms, you know, and you know, you're walking through perimenopause into menopause and you had to start with one thing besides magnesium, <laughs> what would that one thing be? Like, what would be the thing that you're like, this is, this is the biggest, like, this is where the juice is worth the squeeze. For me personally, it's quality sleep. That's the one thing. Quality sleep seems to fix everything for everybody. There's so much research on it. And I don't mean people who are like, and I get eight hours of sleep, but then they do wear a whoop or an aura or they get a sleep study done and turns out they have sleep apnea or they're up a lot and don't realize it or movement or whatever it is that's like not quite quality. You know, our brain detoxifies at night. We heal and repair at night. Hormones are released at night. Hormones are released at night. Our, our blood sugar insulin improves because when, when we have quality sleep. If you have crappy sleep, you're set up for insulin resistance the next day because of melatonin. I mean, it just so many things can be added to the what does sleep fix. That's the one thing I would focus on. And I have absolutely noticed as I've gotten into my 40s, my, despite what I do, I still have totally can have bad nights of sleep. I mean, it just... You need estrogen and progesterone and a whole lot of other things to have quality sleep. Progesterone is calming. Estrogen helps you with the phases of your sleep. And if it's all over the board or depleted, then sleep gets affected. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, and I know, I, I think we just need to hammer that so hard, how important it is to have deep, restful, quality sleep. And there's a lot that goes into it. You know, you can't just run into bed. I think most of us know that by now. <laughs> I hope so, but there are a lot of burn the candle at both end listeners, I bet. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Okay, where would you love us to plug in? Is there anything you want us to make sure that we know about you before we take off? Yes, Instagram at dr.carryjones, website drcarryjones.com. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, honey. Thank you. Wow. Are you walking away with lots of big takeaways from Carrie today? I cannot tell you how much I absolutely love sharing Carrie's expertise on the Energized podcast. And she really nails the importance for us to be so intentional about our lifestyle and daily routines if we want to navigate perimenopause, menopause, and beyond. Now, if you want more amazing information and you know hormone facts, definitely go and follow Carrie on Instagram. It's Dr. Carrie Jones. And I will have the link in the show notes. You can easily go and follow her. And I also want you to know that although your body is indeed changing a lot, even in menopause, there are adjustments that you can significantly and easily make to reduce any symptoms that you're dealing with and to have you feeling like you're entering a new beginning. And that first step really is assessing how well your metabolism is functioning and then taking proactive steps to improve it. So do not forget to register for my Fix Your Hormone Masterclass and make sure you download the woman's metabolic assessment to see if you have low, moderate, or severe metabolic dysfunction or if your metabolism is running like a fine-tuned machine. Again, it's gonna be drmarisa.com slash metabolism class and I cannot wait to see you there. 